Everything connected? Yep. All the people there? No. I don't know if they're there. They might not be there. Should we wait? No, we won't wait. Let's get started. Okay. Hello, everyone. And, um, and again, a, a blessing and, a, and an opportunity to be, bring, be able to bring the Word of God to you again. Um, and it's an evening service that we've got. This morning's service, we began the series on... Um, on the times of the signs, times that the Bible has so much to say about, but times that have um, uh, come before us, you know, before our eyes, and we don't even we don't even recognise what's what's going on. Most of us, um, but I, I need I need the Lord desperately tonight to be able to just bless you and and to be able to bless the message. You'll see I'm a little bit offset, and uh, and that's only because we're going to be showing a number of uh, number of presentations. On um, on the TV through a, through a slideshow, so I, I hope that that's going to be an opportunity for you to be able to learn more as well. Uh, you'll see that I'm a little bit more casually uh, attired. Um, I haven't didn't shave 15 minutes ago, um, and also my top button's undone. Oh, that's no, not. Hang on. No, I'll leave it. I'll leave it. But uh, anyway, let's uh, let's pray and get into this um, this message this evening. Heavenly Father, I do, dear Lord, um, I do thank you, Father. Thank you for every opportunity to be able to bring the Word of God to your people and to those who would who would tune in to listen. And I need you, dear Father, to be able to make my words clear and make my thoughts clear and that in every way, dear Lord, the, the Word of God might be expounded in truth that those who would have ears to hear will be able to indeed hear. I pray, Father, for your work within each one of us. And I pray, dear Lord, that your glory through your word might be made manifest, that people may see that your word is is trustful and that we can rely on it, we can depend on it. And if it's true concerning the things of the past and then concerning the things of the future, we know, dear Lord, that it's also true concerning ourselves. So I ask and pray, Father, you be with me this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, in the end, that's the fundamental truth. That's, that's the reality with all of this. If, if the Bible is not true, if there is no credibility within the Word of God, when it comes to eternal life or what's going to happen after we die, there's nothing there that we can trust. Um, if it's not the Bible, if we don't have the Bible, a book that is, you know, we've got 66 books in the Bible. It's not just one. Is 66 books. It was penned by over 40 different individuals. And it spans a period of history of 1,500 years. From, from the first time it had had the pen put to paper through all these individuals, 1,500 years. It was written in three original languages. And it was written on three different continents. And yet it tells one account, one story, without contradiction. And it tells of that state of man, of mankind. And it tells about God dealing with a specific people for a time. And then their rejection of the Messiah, the one who came to save them from their sins, became an opportunity for each one of us, for the Gentiles, for the Gentile world. But the Lord is going to deal again with Israel. 
When the church is out of the way, the, the Lord will again begin that time clock. And, and Israel is the timepiece. No matter which way we look at it, Israel is the timepiece. Whether or not this generation needs to pass before all these signs come to, come to be or whether the Lord was speaking about something else, it still doesn't take away from the fact that Israel is the timepiece. The things that are happening in Israel should be able to give us an understanding of where we are at historically. And that's the exciting thing about it, keeping an eye on Israel to have a look at where they're at, what's going on over there, what's happening with the world's relationship to Israel. How is that progressing along? You know, we spoke about we are between two periods. We are between the destruction of the second temple and the building of the third temple. Where, though? Pastor Eddie, that's great to tell us where, but I mean, we've got 1950 years have elapsed since then. Where on that timepiece are we? Well, we've got to be thinking about those opportunities. We've got to be thinking about what those signs are that we can see before us. If the foundation stone of that third temple is beginning to be built, if there are plans with respect to building this temple, if the furniture of that temple is being built, then we can know that it's very close, even at the door, the Lord said. So that is exciting. It's also mindful for us to keep our priorities in check, that we know what it is that we're here for if we're here for such a time as this. So it's an exciting time. The first point this morning is with regards to the coming temple, the coming temple. In your Bibles, Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 to 21. If you, if you have them, please open them up. Matthew chapter 24. We had a look at most of that chapter this morning. So I pray that, uh, that this portion of it will, will bring some clarity with respect to what's expected. Why, why are we talking about this temple? Why are we even mentioning a third temple? Is there anywhere in the Bible where it mentions a third temple? Okay, Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 to 21. Verse 15. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that gave suck in those days, that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. The Lord is speaking about the end of, well, the end of this world. It's speaking about a time where this world will have created more than enough of its own issues and problems that would have rejected God completely, filled itself with so many problems and issues that the judgment of God is going to come upon it. No one likes hearing those sort of things, but that's the time frame. That's the context of what it's referring to. He mentions there in that 15th verse, when you therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. 
whoso readeth, let him understand. Has that in parenthesis. Whoso readeth, let him understand. What is there to understand? Stand in the holy place. What holy place? The holy place, the holy of holies. This is the place in the midst of the temple. But which temple? Which temple was Daniel speaking of? Which temple is the Lord Jesus speaking of? Jesus spoke about it himself. He said that not one stone from this temple is going to be left one upon another. He was talking about an event yet future to him. But there are so many people who believe this abomination of desolation was already done about 200 years before Christ by an individual by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. And indeed, he did do an abomination of of a desolation of some kind, an abomination. He sacrificed a sow, a pig on the Holy of Holies. And it created immense trouble and it began the Maccabean revolt during that period. But Daniel was speaking of a time yet future. This happened before the Lord Jesus Christ, which was future to Daniel. That's fair enough. But Jesus speaks about Daniel representing something yet future to Jesus. He says, when ye shall see the abomination of desolation. He's speaking yet future. What's he saying? The one that was spoken of by Daniel, the prophet. So the event that happened roughly around about 165 BC is not the event. It's not the abomination of desolation. It's still yet future. And why is it again that we need this third temple? Well, it's the place for the man of sin, also known as the Antichrist, also known as the little horn, also known as the Assyrian, also known as the beast of Revelation. Jesus speaks to this man because he says that you won't receive me, but him you're going to receive. He says, I am come in my father's name and you receive me not. If any man shall come in his own name, him you will receive. And indeed, there is a strong indication that the nation of Israel is going to receive this individual as their, as the Messiah. They're, they're waiting for the Messiah. They, they don't realize that they've missed him. They're waiting for him to come the first time. We're waiting for him the second time. It's this man who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. This is that man. He's going to be sitting in the temple of God. It has to be a temple yet future to Paul's writing because the temple was destroyed. Daniel wrote of it as the transgression of desolation in Daniel chapter 8, verse 13. He spoke about it again in, in chapter 9. For the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. And then again in, in chapter 11, he says, And they shall make the abomination that maketh desolate, in verse 31 of chapter 11. And in Daniel chapter 12, verse 11, And from that time and from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Three and a half year period is what he's speaking about there. Four different parts of Daniel's entire book of of 12 chapters, four different parts, four different times he refers to this this event, this abomination of daily, of of, um, abomination of desolation. He speaks about the daily sacrifice being taken away. Um, 
and to this very end. He speaks about this tribulation period that's going to come upon the earth that is going to be for a period of seven years. Seven years. It's known as the final week of Daniel's 70-week prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. So the third temple has to be there. The third temple has to be there. It has to be, has to be standing there for this act to happen. Therefore, we are expecting a third temple. We had the tabernacle that was, that was in the wilderness. We had Solomon's temple that was, that was built. So the tabernacle was a, was, a, was a portable, almost a portable temple, but it's not, it wasn't considered a temple. Yeah, the tabernacle, you had Solomon's temple. Then you had that which, um, which was rebuilt at, at the end of the captivity, which became Herod's temple and then later expanded. And then that was the one that was actually taken apart brick by brick, stone by stone, not left one upon another. Is there any indication that the work is being prepared for? Any indication that the building is planned to be built? Jerusalem, eternal city of God. The very word is a symphony to the ear for all to whom the Bible is precious. And at the heart of Jerusalem lies its secret, the holy temple on Mount Moriah, place of the Shekhinah, the divine presence, called by Isaiah, the house of prayer for all nations. For 2,000 years, the Jewish people have prayed to return to the land of Israel, to Jerusalem, and to rebuild the holy temple. Today, we have returned. The city of Jerusalem is built up, a thriving, vibrant city. But what of Jerusalem's secret? What of the dream? For over two decades, the Temple Institute has been recreating the biblically appointed vessels to be used in the Holy Temple in preparation for its rebuilding. Tens of sacred vessels have been completed. These vessels and priestly garments on exhibit in the Temple Institute's Treasures of the Holy Temple exhibition in Jerusalem's Old City are not copies or replicas, but are actually fit to be used according to strict biblical standards in the New Holy Temple. Original source materials such as gold, silver, and copper and the original sizes and measurements are used exclusively. Each year, 100,000 visitors come to see, learn about, and experience the promise of the Holy Temple. A visit to the Temple Institute is the highlight of a trip to Israel, for in the presence of these vessels, one can feel that the time of the redemption is indeed drawing close. The golden menorah, the golden table of the showbread, the incense altar, and tens of other sacred vessels have been painstakingly and precisely recreated. Silver trumpets, Levitical harps and lyres are ready to be heard once again in the streets of Jerusalem. The priestly garments, including the uniform of the high priest, the ephod, the breastplate and the golden crown, the result of years of intense research and the efforts of Israel's finest artists and craftsmen, are on display for all to see. The Temple Institute provides specially trained guides who explain the history of the Holy Temple the nature of the divine service, and the significance of the Holy Temple for all mankind. And we see the desire of, of, of the... Um of the Jews, we see their, their passion and their, 
and their true desire to have the temple built. You see, they believe that until the temple is built, Mashiach will not come. They believe that until that temple has been rebuilt, they, they wait in vain for their Messiah. They actually truly believe that the Messiah will not come until the temple itself is being completely rebuilt. That's, that's, that's where they're at. That's their plan. Um, the next one is, is interesting because it also demonstrates um, that they are well into the planning with respect to, to this temple. There's something that's missing, however, and what's missing is the need for the priests. 
The priestly line came out of the Levitical priesthood. That's, that's where it had to have been. And not only the Levitical priesthood, but the Aaronic priesthood, Aaron's line of, of um, had to follow Aaron's line. And the challenge was, where do we find now so many thousands of years removed? Where, how can we find the, the true Aaronic priesthood that we might be able to find the high priest, the legitimate high priest for the temple? So the family name is the name Cohen. And that's the name that, uh, that, is, that is lined up with the Levitical, uh, the Levitical line. And the Kohanim is what they're looking for. They're looking for the, um, the Kohanim, the, the, the priests that would be the direct descendants of, Adam, of Aaron and um, for the original high priest. Because it's not just sufficient to have a temple. It's not just enough to have the ornaments. Um, we, they have to have the priesthood. They have to have the entire sacrificial system that goes along with that. Jesus was the true Lamb of God. He is the true Lamb of God. Until he returns again, he's not yet the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Um, He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The entire sacrificial system that was employed by the Israelites in the ancient times was as a picture of Christ to come. And the, and the high priest is what, is, is what was needed. There was the discovery of the Kohanine gene. A doctor, Carl Sorek, Soreki, considered a hypothesis that states that if the Kohanim are descendants of one man, then they should have a common set of genetic markers. So he took 188 Jewish males from Israel, England and North America and asked them to contribute some of their cheek cells from which their DNA was extracted for his study. And what he found was that there's a particular array of six chromosomal markers in actual Cohen's that has been, that has been come to be known as the Cohen model. It's now become the standard genetic signature of the Jewish priestly family. In fact, Date calculations based on the variations among Kohanim today yields a time frame of 106 generations from the ancestral founder of that line. In other words, some 3,300 years ago, which just so happens to be the time of the exodus from Egypt and the lifetime of Aaron, the original high priest. There's an incredible idea, the consideration of, of the priests, and they, they found the line. Now that they've found the line, can you imagine how excited they are? And they are excited. And now they're planning on actually building a replica of the temple, a smaller replica of the temple, in order to train the priests for the work. Today is really a historical event for the Jewish people. It is the beginning of the work of the Third Temple, construction for the Third Temple. Here in Mitzvah Yeriko, we are building a field school for Kohanim and Levites in order to teach them the work that they have to do in Yushalayim when the temple will be rebuilt. We are starting the, uh, to build the replica of the temple here in Mitzvah Yericho that will serve as a school to educate the Kohanim, the priests, how to serve in the temple. It will be an exact replica of the temple. And today we're drilling the holes for the... Um, 
the libations, the water and wine libations in the altar. And they will learn exactly what they have to do. When the time comes and the temple is rebuilt in Jerusalem, they will know exactly how to perform this service. We've been waiting for the last 2,000 years for the rebuilding of the third temple. And here it is for the first time, we're actually taking concrete measures in order to fulfill that dream and start the process of the third temple. <laughs> it's pretty incredible, isn't it? Like you think of all these things that are actually coming to pass right, right in our time, right in our timeline at this point. This training of the priests is necessary as far as they are concerned. There are a lot of Christians, however, who have a desire to help um, Israel with respect to the rebuilding of this temple. But I would say that it, that is a dangerous option. You see, this third temple that is going to be built according to the Bible um, is going to be a temple that is also going to be destroyed. It's going to be a temple where the Antichrist himself will have his seat. It's going to be a temple where he will sit on the throne of God claiming that he is God. It will be the abomination of desolation set up. Um, and tragically, the cost of this temple is going to be many, many uh, Jewish lives. This is not something that I would encourage any Christian to go ahead and, and, and you know, donate funds for, to, to help build, to have a part of. But that's one. We've got three other items to go through and I'll try and make those ones a little bit quicker. The other three items and the first of the three is the coming hatred of the world. We have the coming temple but also the coming hatred of the world. These things are yet future. These things are, are time markers that you might be able to identify. In Zechariah chapter 12 verses 2 to 3, the Lord says in there, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all people round about when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. All the people of the earth be gathered together against Israel. It was one of the blessings and opportunities that I had. I was driving back home from um, I think it was a fishing trip with a good friend of mine many years ago. And as we were talking in the car, we were talking about future events. And one of the things that I said to him was, if you really want to know what's going to be happening in the future, if you really want to know the truth about God, keep your eye on Israel. One of the things that you're going to find will be a growing animosity, a growing hatred for the nation of Israel. In Zechariah 14, he says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. This is that, this is that period of time. This is the day of, of wrath, the day of vengeance. And they and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken and the houses rifled and the women ravished. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. There is a destruction that is yet to come upon the city of Jerusalem. At the moment, Jerusalem or Israel has few friends, few friends. Um, Australia was noted as one of them. The United States, no question, especially under the governing um, work of Donald Trump, they are no doubt 
have developed and, and, and strengthened a friendship that the previous administration had all but whittled away. There is only a handful of friends of Israel. But that time will come to an end. There will be a time where there will be no friend of Israel. The entire world will come against Israel. And it will come through a number of things. It will come through, first of all, uh, through lies and through deceit and through a growing animosity and hatred. Remember earlier I'd spoken about um, the League of Nations. We, we talked about the League of Nations. We'd seen how the League of Nations had opened the way for um, for the nation of Israel into the land. Well, the League of Nations are a precursor to the United Nations. And there's been a dramatic shift in policy with respect to the United Nations. No longer does the United Nations support Israel. No longer do the United Nations support the, uh, the people of Israel. Matter of fact, through their education establishment called UNESCO, they have done everything that they possibly can to wipe away all uh, historical references to Israel in the land. They've taken away those references and claimed them to be that of Palestine, etc. They refer to Israel now as occupied territory, even though they were the ones who gave permission in time past to be able to deal with Israel. There was a wonderful... Um, uh, report given by the previous uh, diplomat to the United Nations by the name of Nikki Halley. You might have, might have heard of her. She was the administrator and she was a representative in the United Nations. This is what she said after the very first day. It's only a three and a half minute clip. So the first thing I want to do is talk about what we just um, saw in there. The Security Council just finished its regular monthly meeting on Middle East issues. It's the first meeting like that that I've attended, and I have to say it was a bit strange. The Security Council is supposed to discuss how to maintain international peace and security. But at our meeting on the Middle East, the discussion was not about Hezbollah's illegal buildup of rockets in Lebanon. It was not about the money and weapons Iran provides to terrorists. It was not about how we defeat ISIS. It was not about how we hold Bashar al-Assad accountable for the slaughter of hundreds and thousands of civilians. No, instead the meeting focused on criticizing Israel, the one true democracy in the Middle East. I am new around here, but I understand that's how the council has operated month after month for decades. I'm here to say the United States will not turn a blind eye to this anymore. I am here to underscore the ironclad support of the United States for Israel. I'm here to emphasize the United States is determined to stand up to the UN's anti-Israel bias. We will never repeat the terrible mistake of Resolution 2334 and allow one-sided Security Council resolutions to condemn Israel. Instead, we will push for action on the real threats we face in the Middle East. We stand for peace. We support a solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that is negotiated directly between the two parties, as President Trump reiterated in his meeting with Prime Minister Netanyahu yesterday. The outrageously biased resolutions from the Security Council and the General Assembly only make peace harder to attain by discouraging one of the parties from going to the negotiating table. 
Incredibly, the UN Department of Political Affairs has an entire division devoted to Palestinian affairs. Imagine that. There is no division devoted to illegal missile launches from North Korea. There is no division devoted to the world's number one state sponsor of terror, Iran. The prejudiced approach to Israeli-Palestinian issues does the peace process no favors, and it bears no relationship to the reality of the world around us. The double standards are breathtaking. Just a few days ago, the United States sought, unsuccessfully, to have the Security Council condemn a terrorist attack to Israel, where the terrorists opened fire on people waiting for a bus and then stabbed others. The Security Council would not hesitate to condemn an attack like that in any other country, but not for Israel. The statement was blocked, and that's downright shameful. Israel exists in a region where others call for its complete destruction, and in a world where anti-Semitism is on the rise. These are threats that we should discuss at the United Nations as we continue working toward a comprehensive agreement that would end the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. But outside of the UN, there is some good news. Israel's place in the world is changing. Israel is building up new diplomatic relationships. More and more countries recognize how much Israel contributes to the world. They are recognizing that Israel is a beacon of stability in a troubled region, and that Israel is at the forefront of innovation, entrepreneurship, and technolog technological discovery. It is the UN's anti-Israel bias that is long overdue for change. The United States will not hesitate to speak out against these biases in defense of our friend and ally, Israel. I can't go to a black screen, sorry. But um, you can see something really interesting that's actually going on in the world. Now, this is coming from the United Nations. Now, as a direct result of all of this, after several years in the United Nations under Nikki Haley, they ended up removing themselves from supporting the United Nations and having a seat at the table at the UN. Uh, the United States had completely disregarded the United Nations as a credible authority in, in dealing with these matters. The point, however, is that you can see that there is a continual, ongoing and growing Israel bias. Matter of fact, she mentioned something really interesting the rise of anti-Semitism. Now, when we were in Israel a number of years ago, we were at the Yad Vashem Museum, the, the, the Holocaust Museum in Israel. And when we were there, it was absolutely astounding the amount of propaganda that the Germans had used to sway the people's minds and to deter them from their support for Israel or, or sorry, the, the Jewish people. They created more and more anti-Semitism until in the end, Israel became a pariah to the entire nation and so on. Well, that's happening again. That's happening again. We wanted to say that never again, but it's happening again. Israel it has anti-Semitism on the rise in, in Europe. You can see by this particular report that that is actually happening in Europe. Um, You've got a Polish crowd that beats and burns um, an effigy um, of an ultra-Orthodox Jew in, uh, in Poland. In Belgium, for two years in a row, they've had carnivals that have actually despised Jews, making mockery of them in floats and in dances and in all that sort of thing, focusing on them. Now, I've seen 
the actual carnival parade there in, Jeru in um, Belgium. And I'm absolutely astounded. Absolutely astounded how much of that parade is dedicated to hating Jews. So this is happening there. And now we have also a rise of this happening also in France. A couple of minutes on this next clip will give you an indication. Remember we mentioned how the, the Israel, the people of Israel, are actually coming back into Israel. The Jews are coming back into Israel in greater and greater numbers. Well, as the rise in anti-Semitism continues, so too will, will their exodus from those places. Jewish tradition is strong here. This is one of many synagogues in France. Jews have been in this country for centuries, numbering 500,000 today. France has the largest Jewish population in Europe. But for the first time in their living memory, the Jews of this synagogue in central Paris are talking about leaving France, fearing what they call a new anti-Semitism. Lohan Layani says he is afraid that anti-Israeli sentiment has morphed into a wider, more dangerous anti-Semitism. If you have a, um, a David Stars over here, like you can have problems, or if you wear a kippah, like uh, some people come comes to you and say, uh, uh, "You uh, bad Jews, we're gonna all kill you or put you on the sea," and uh, it's uh, it's frightening. In July, during Israel's war with Hamas, the synagogue was targeted by demonstrators who reportedly chanted death to Jews as they attacked. These are images from inside the synagogue. A show of force from police ended the protest. Now this is the result, constant police protection. Jews have been coming to worship here at this synagogue for 50 years, but now they say they won't come unless the police are outside. And it's not just in Paris, in Sarcelles, a small community with a large Jewish population north of Paris, a peaceful pro-Palestinian march degenerated into violence against anything Jewish. Attacks like these have had a profound impact on the Jewish community. At the Jewish agency in Paris, there has been a surge in applications for assistance to emigrate to Israel. The agency estimates 5,000 will leave this year, the highest ever. The Malul family of Paris is just days away from moving to Israel. Gabrielle Malul is a dermatologist and is giving up a successful practice. You think it's going to get worse, not better? Yes, yes. I've grown up with people from all different backgrounds, says Yoel. It's always been all right but I feel it's changing. 16-year-old Judith is leaving many friends behind, but she says it's time. In Israel, we are free to live our religion and to show that we are Jewish, she says. In France, we have to hide the fact we are Jewish. The situation has been deteriorating over the past few years. In 2012, three children and an adult were shot and killed at the Jewish school in Toulouse. And in May, killings at the Jewish Museum in Brussels by a shooter later identified as French raised the anxiety level higher. So it's happening again. It's happening again. We've got a continual rise of hatred and anti-Semitism coming up against the Jews. Israel has become this burdensome stone. There is an ongoing and a, and a growing hatred of, of Israel. New reports, um, they're blaming coronavirus as part of, um, against Israel. Um, so these are some of the things. Remember this morning I'd mentioned with regards to 
um, the Arabs, peace would come in the Middle East if the Arabs loved their children more than they hate us. Take a look at this. isn't it? In, um, in the Palestine areas, they, um, they teach children from as young as possible to, um, to kill Jews. They teach them in their schools to decapitate Jews. They have plays that actually play all this sort of thing out. They brainwash small children to hate Israel. And the, one of the most astounding things of all is something that you might be able to find, or you will be able to find plenty of it, is an effort through what's known as Pallywood. Pallywood. In other words, there are film crews who provoke Israel looking for something to blame them for. One of the most notorious of these uh, efforts of Pallywood was Muhammad al-Darah, something that happened a number of years ago. I can't remember when it was. I think it was 2006, where Muhammad al-Darah is the story of that little boy who was crouched up behind his father. And you see a picture of the father holding the little boy and hiding behind this bin. And, um, and the pictures were, were given. This was part of, I think it was the second Antifada, where... Shots were ringing out all over the place, gunshots everywhere, and the next image that you see is the young child is dead. They made a martyr out of this young boy. What you don't see, however, are that there's two other cameramen just on the other side of, of the man with the child. So there's a bin here, there's, there's the man with the boy making out as if they're cowering from gunshots, and there are two other men with film cameras directly... Sorry, two other... I just came off the scene... Two other men with film cameras directly behind them also taking video footage and there's nothing there to cover them or to protect them. It's an astounding idea, but this is going on again and again and again. So look it up. Look it up on, uh, on YouTube. Pallywood. Pallywood is what it's called and you'll find plenty of evidence for it. The next point this morning is the coming wars against Israel. There's one in particular that I want to draw your attention to and that is the one in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. 
I won't read the entire text, but this is something else to be looking for and looking to. According to the Bible, there is going to be an effort made against Israel to completely annihilate them. And the countries that are going to be involved are Russia, Turkey, also Iran, Ethiopia and Libya. The Bible says that they will be coming against the nation of Israel. The Bible says that they will come against them in the latter years. Verse 8 of Ezekiel 38. After many days thou shalt be visited. In the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel which have been always waste. But it is brought forth out of the nations and they shall dwell safely, all of them. Thou shalt ascend, speaking about these nations, thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land, thou and all thy bands and many people with thee. These are some of the pictures that we've got with respect to them coming into and overshadowing the land. And they're going to be plan- the plan here is to overshadow them to completely wipe them out. In Ezekiel chapter 39, there's some strong indications that the effort is nuclear. The strong indications that the effort is nuclear. And the reasons for that, you might be able to have a look at it in Ezekiel 39 verse 9. It says, And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth. This is, sorry, let me go back up just a little bit. In verse 1 of chapter 39 of Ezekiel, the Lord says this, Therefore thou, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and leave but a sixth part of thee, and I will cause thee to come up from the north parts and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. As far as the Lord is concerned, he's going to smite them. He's going to leave just a sixth part of them. Remember there's an old expression, decimate, the word decimate. We, we get the impression that to decimate something is to, is to completely annihilate it. Well, decimate actually means a tenth of, to take a tenth of. In other words, uh, you, you've got ten, one of them is taken, that's, that's a decimation. This, the Lord is planning to leave just a sixth part. To leave a sixth part, that's all. One, um, five in six will be taken down. Thou shalt fall upon the open field, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord God. And then in verse 9, they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers. And have a look how long they burn it for. The bows and the arrows and the hand staves and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire seven years. They shall burn them with fire seven years. One of the things that's really interesting about this is, is the use of some of the, some of the wording here. When the text speaks about the weapons, um, it speaks about shields and bucklers and bows and arrows and hand staves. And, and the confusion that comes with respect to this is there's no question that this is in the latter part of, this is in the latter years. But the question is with respect to are these primitive weapons or is this something else? There's two parts to this. One part might be who knows what the world's going to look like at that particular time. People have spoken about it for some time that there could be a, um, some sort of uh, uh, magnetic pulse that wipes away all electrical 
circuitry within the world and that's possible that that could happen. They've spoken about that for, uh, for some time. The other part of it's interesting as well and that is the phrases, the words that are used, bows, arrows. These are actual words that are used on even the modern machinery today. The weapons that come out of the, um, the missiles that come out of the planes and, uh, and from the ground are actually referred to as arrows. So who knows? Who knows? This part we don't know. But verse 12, it says, In seven months shall the house of Israel be burying them, that they may cleanse the land. Seven months they're going to be taking to bury the people who would come against them. And then in verse 15, it says something else interesting. And the passengers that pass through the land, when any seeth a man's bone, they sh- then shall he set up a sign by it, till the buriers have buried it in the valley of Hamongog. Well, that's interesting as well. You've seen it sometimes. You've seen a kangaroo fallen at the side of the road and it's got the paint marked on it. So they've marked it, ready for it to be taken away. It's the same sort of an indication here. It's almost as if there's the discovery of something that's radioactive that needs to be marked and taken away by professionals. So that's interesting. Why will this happen? Well, Ezekiel 39, verses 6 and 7. The Bible says there, And I will send a fire on Magog, and among them that dwell carelessly in the isles. And they shall know that I am the Lord. So will I make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. And I will not let them pollute my holy name any more. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. These things that are going to be happening, these things that are going to be happening are going to be happening that he will reveal himself, that he's going to be revealing himself to the world, but most importantly that he is going to begin revealing himself to Israel. Remember the Bible speaks about blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Well, the Lord here, he's going to be revealing his power to his people that they may see, that they may know the Lord and that they might return to him again. And this is the overall desire of the scriptures, to have the people of God return back to God. And that leads me nicely to the last point, and that is the coming cry for their true Messiah. In this, turn your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12. I want you to keep in mind that this is still part of the Old Testament. This is still part of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 12, second last book of the Old Testament. And I have a look at it from verse 9. Lord says there, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. And shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the morning of Hadadramon in the valley of Megiddo. What an incredible passage. That they will mourn for him. They will remember him. They will look upon me whom they have pierced. I mean, 
how can they do that? How can they how can that expression even be in scripture? Unless Zechariah is actually talking about they having pierced their Messiah. Remember, he was put on a cross and he was pierced through the heart. This is an incredible reality. This is what we are here for us as Christians. We're looking for signs, for indicators of all these things coming to pass. And all these things that I've spoken of this evening so far are yet future. And they are future for Israel. Now, much of this we are going to see. That passage that speaks about the Ezekiel War that's going to be coming against Israel, it speaks about them burning and burning the fuel for seven years. Well, it gives an indication that that war is probably going to happen before the tribulation begins. Because how can they still be burning? It'll either happen right at the very point of the tribulation starting, because we know it's seven years, or it happens before it. Then they'll be burning these things for seven years. So to me, there's a strong indication that that is going to happen prior to the tribulation. And depending on when the Lord takes us home, um, we could be very well here to see that. It might be something that we would see. But watch for the build-up. Russia has already moved into Syria. They've already escalated and they've come that much closer to, to Israel. Last week, last week, yeah, Monday, Monday week, last week, we had a dramatic oil crisis that happened where oil dropped below zero for the first time in history. It went to negative $40 a barrel. You literally could not give oil away. Now, that has a dramatic effect on Russia and on Iran and on Saudi Arabia, all of whom depend on oil for the functioning of their own governments and the welfare of their own people. Israel have discovered a massive body of gas and they are now putting plans to actually export that gas to Europe. Currently, Europe received most of their gas from the USSR, but the USSR once in history turned off the gas supply to Europe. And there's no guarantees that they won't do it again if under threat. When you receive all your, all your goods from one particular nation, as we are starting to discover with China, um, this is something that can definitely happen. So now Israel have moved their place into that. What could it, there could be other motivations against Israel. We have no idea. But what we do know is that there is an effort and a, and a, and a placing of the pieces together that would indeed come against them. And here Israel is going to cry out for her saviour. In Luke 13, we mentioned this this morning, verse 34, when Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, and verily I say unto you, you shall not see me until the time come when ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Not only are they regathered in the land and not only are all these other things going to be happening to them, but they will, the time will come, they will, they will uh, cry for their true Messiah. Their true Messiah, that time will come as well and that's also yet future to us. For you who are, who are listening online and if you don't know the Lord, 
there's a time coming like nothing you've ever experienced before in your life. And if you would accept the Lord now, if you would trust in him now, if, if just out of today's series of messages, you can see that the Bible itself is proving itself to be true. If you can see that clearly, then please seek the Lord while you can. Please seek after him. Plead for him that he might save you, that he might save your soul, that you would be saved, that you would be born again, that you would trust in him for your salvation. There is a time that you are going to die. That's without a question. But where will you be? Where will you be? The Bible is proving itself true and true and true time and time again. And these series of messages are going to be demonstrating that with absolute clarity. Please don't Wait. Don't wait. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, dear Lord, I give you thanks. I praise you, dear Lord, even for the meagre effort that I had in putting in for the work that's been done. And I ask and pray, dear Lord, that it might be enough, that people may see the truth of the word of God, that they may look for him, and that they may look for the Saviour, the only one, dear Lord, who can redeem them. We ask and I pray, dear Lord, that you would bless them, that you would open their hearts, that you would convict their spirit, that they may indeed be born again. And for us, dear Lord, who are saved and know the Lord, I pray, dear Lord, that a reorganising of our own priorities would be before us and that we would seek, that we would see how close we are to the very time of your coming and that we would seek to live for you, Lord. I ask and I pray that you would bless them all. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen.